Section 43 of Tales of Old Japan. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Awaii in April 2011. Tales of Old Japan by Lord Reedsdale. Section 43. Appendix A. Part 3. As a corollary to the above elaborate statement of the ceremonies proper to be observed at the harakiri, I may here describe an instance of such an execution which I was sent officially to witness. The condemned man was Taki Sensaburo, an officer of the Prince of Bizen, who gave the order to fire upon the foreign settlement at Hyogo in the month of February 1868, an attack to which I have alluded in the preamble of the story of the Eta Maiden and the Hatamoto. Up to that time, no foreigner had witnessed such an execution, which was rather looked upon as a traveller's fable. The ceremony, which was ordered by the Mikado himself, took place at 10.30 at night in the temple of Seifukuji, the headquarters of the Satsuma troops at Hyogo, a witness was sent from each of the foreign legations. We were seven foreigners in all. We were conducted to the temple by officers of the princes of Satsuma in Choshu. Although the ceremony was to be conducted in the most private manner, the casual remarks which we overheard in the streets, and a crowd lining the principal entrance to the temple, showed that it was a matter of no little interest to the public. The courtyard of the temple presented a most picturesque sight. It was crowded with soldiers standing about in knots round large fires, which threw a dim flickering light over the heavy eaves and quaint gable ends of the sacred buildings. We were shown into an inner room where we were to wait until the preparation for the ceremony was completed. In the next room to us were the high Japanese officers. After a long interval, which seemed doubly long from the silence which prevailed, Ito Shunsuke, the provisional governor of Hyogo, came and took down our names, and informed us that seven Kenshi, sheriffs or witnesses, would attend on the part of the Japanese. He and another officer represented the Mikado, two captains of Satsuma's infantry, and two of Choshu's, with a representative of the Prince of Bizen, the clan of the condemned men, completed the number, which was probably arranged in order to tally with that of the foreigners. Ito Shunsuke further inquired whether we wished to put any questions to the prisoner. We replied in the negative. A further delay then ensued, after which we were invited to follow the Japanese witnesses into the Hondo, or main hall of the temple, where the ceremony was to be performed. It was an imposing scene. A large hall with a high roof supported by dark pillars of wood. From the ceiling hung a profusion of those huge gilt lamps and ornaments peculiar to Buddhist temples. In front of the high altar, where the floor, covered with beautiful white mats, is raised some three or four inches from the ground, was laid a rug of scarlet felt. Tall candles placed at regular intervals gave out a dim, mysterious light, 
just sufficient to let all the proceedings be seen. The seven Japanese took their places on the left of the raised floor, the seven foreigners on the right. No other person was present. After an interval of a few minutes of anxious suspense, Taki Sensaburo, a stalwart man, thirty-two years of age, with a noble air, walked into the hall attired in his dress of ceremony, with the peculiar hempen cloth wings which are worn on great occasions. He was accompanied by a kaishaku and three officers, who wore the jimbaori, or war surcoat, with gold tissue facings. The word kaishaku, it should be observed, is one to which our word executioner is no equivalent term. The office is that of a gentleman. In many cases, it is performed by a kinsman or friend of the condemned, and the relation between them is rather that of principal and second than that of victim and executioner. In this instance, the kaishaku was a pupil of Taki Sensaburo and was selected by the friends of the latter from among their own number for his skill in swordsmanship. With the kaishaku on his left hand, Taki Senzaburo advanced slowly towards the Japanese witnesses, and the two bowed before them. Then, drawing near to the foreigners, they saluted us in the same way, perhaps even with more deference. In each case, the salutation was ceremoniously returned. Slowly and with great dignity, the condemned man mounted onto the raised floor, prostrated himself before the high altar twice, and seated himself on the felt carpet with his back to the high altar, the kaishaku crouching on his left-hand side. Footnote. Seated himself, that is, in the Japanese fashion, his knees and toes touching the ground, and his body resting on his heels. In this position, which is one of respect, he remained until his death. End footnote. One of the three attendant officers then came forward, bearing a stand of the kind used in temples for offerings, on which, wrapped in paper, lay the wakitsashi, the short sword or dirk of the Japanese, nine inches and a half in length, with a point and an edge as sharp as a razor's. This he handed, prostrating himself, to the condemned man, who received it reverently, raising it to his head with both hands, and placed it in front of himself. After another profound obeisance, Taki Sensaburo, in a voice which betrayed just so much emotion and hesitation as might be expected from a man who is making a painful confession, but with no sign of either in his face or manner, spoke as follows. I and I alone unwarrantably gave the order to fire on the foreigners at Kobe, and again as they tried to escape. For this crime I disembowel myself, and I beg you who are present to do me the honor of witnessing the act. Bowing once more, the speaker allowed his upper garments to slip down to his girdle and remained naked to the waist. Carefully, according to custom, he tucked his sleeves under his knees to prevent himself from falling backwards, for a noble Japanese gentleman should die falling forwards. Deliberately, with a steady hand, he took the dirk that lay before him, he looked at it wistfully, almost affectionately, 
for a moment he seemed to collect his thoughts for the last time and then stabbing himself deeply below the waist on the left hand side he drew the dirk slowly across to the right side and turning it in the wound gave a slight cut upwards during this sickeningly painful operation he never moved a muscle of his face when he drew out the dirk he leaned forward and stretched out his neck an expression of pain for the first time crossed his face but he uttered no sound at that moment the kaishaku who still crouching by his side had been keenly watching his every movement sprang to his feet poised his sword for a second in the air there was a flash a heavy ugly thud a crashing fall with one blow the head had been severed from the body a dead silence followed broken only by the hideous noise of the blood throbbing out of the inert heap before us which but a moment before had been a brave and chivalrous man it was horrible the kaishaku made a low bow wiped his sword with a piece of paper which he had ready for the purpose and retired from the raised floor and the stained dirk was solemnly borne away a bloody proof of the execution the two representatives of the mikado then left their places and crossing over to where the foreign witnesses sat called us to witness that the sentence of death upon taki sensaburo had been faithfully carried out the ceremony being at an end we left the temple the ceremony to which the place and the hour gave an additional solemnity was characterized throughout by that extreme dignity and punctiliousness which are the distinctive marks of the proceedings of japanese gentlemen of rank and it is important to note this fact because it carries with it the conviction that the dead man was indeed the officer who had committed the crime and no substitute while profoundly impressed by the terrible scene it was impossible at the same time not to be filled with admiration of the firm and manly bearing of the sufferer and of the nerve with which the kaishaku performed his last duty to his master nothing could more strongly show the force of education the samurai or gentleman of the military class from his earliest years learns to look upon the harakiri as a ceremony in which some day he may be called upon to play a part as principal or second in old-fashioned families which hold to the traditions of ancient chivalry the child is instructed in the right and familiarized with the idea as an honorable expiration of crime or blotting out of disgrace if the hour comes he is prepared for it and gravely faces an ordeal which early training has robbed of half its horrors in what other country in the world does a man learn that the last tribute of affection which he may have to pay to his best friend may be to act as his executioner since i wrote the above we have heard that before his entry into the fatal hall taki sensaburo called round him all those of his own clan who were present many of whom had carried out his order to fire and addressing them in a short speech acknowledged the heinousness of his crime and the justice of his sentence and warned them solemnly to avoid any repetition of attacks upon foreigners they were also addressed by the officers of the mikado 
who urged them to bear no ill-will against us on account of the fate of their fellow clansmen. They declared that they entertained no such feeling. The opinion has been expressed that it would have been politic for the foreign representatives at the last moment to have interceded for the life of Takisen Saburo. The question is believed to have been debated among the representatives themselves. My own belief is that mercy, although it might have produced the desired effect among the more civilized clans, would have been mistaken for weakness and fear by those wilder people who have not yet a personal knowledge of foreigners. The offence, an attack upon the flags and subjects of all the treaty powers, which lack of skill, not of will, alone prevented from ending in a universal massacre, was the gravest that has been committed upon foreigners since their residence in Japan. Death was undoubtedly deserved, and the form chosen was in Japanese eyes merciful and yet judicial. The crime might have involved a war and cost hundreds of lives. It was wiped out by one death. I believe that, in the interest of Japan, as well as in our own, the course pursued was wise, and it was very satisfactory to me to find that one of the ablest Japanese ministers, with whom I had a discussion upon the subject, was quite of my opinion. The ceremonies observed at the Harakiri appear to vary slightly in detail in different parts of Japan, but the following memorandum upon the subject of the rite, as it used to be practiced at Yedo during the rule of the tycoon, clearly establishes its judicial character. I translated it from a paper drawn up for me by a Japanese who was able to speak of what he had seen himself. Three different ceremonies are described. First, ceremonies observed at the harakiri of a hatamoto, petty noble of the tycoon's court, in prison. This is conducted with great secrecy. Six mats are spread in a large courtyard of the prison. An ometsuke, officer whose duties appear to consist in the surveillance of other officers, assisted by two other ometskes of the second and third class, acts as kenshi, sheriff or witness, and sits in front of the mats. The condemned man, attired in his dress of ceremony and wearing his wings of hempen cloth, sits in the centre of the mats. At each of the four corners of the mats sits a prison official. Two officers of the governor of the city act as kaishaku, executioners or seconds, and take their place, one on the right and the other on the left hand of the condemned. The kaishaku on the left side, announcing his name and surname, says, bowing, I have the honor to act as kaishaku to you. Have you any last wishes to confide to me? The condemned man thanks him and accepts the offer or not, as the case may be. He then bows to the sheriff, and a wooden dirk nine and a half inches long is placed before him at a distance of three feet, wrapped in paper, and lying on a stand such as is used for offerings in temples. As he reaches forward to take the wooden sword and stretches out his neck, the kaishaku on his left-hand side draws his sword and strikes off his head. The kaishaku on the right-hand side takes up the head and shows it to the sheriff. The body is given to the relations of the deceased for burial. His property is confiscated. 
Second, the ceremonies observed at the harakiri of a daimyo's retainer. When the retainer of a daimyo is condemned to perform the harakiri, four mats are placed in the yard of the yashiki or palace. The condemned man, dressed in his robes of ceremony and wearing his wings of hempen cloth, sits in the center. An officer acts as chief witness, with a second witness under him. Two officers, who act as kaishaku, are on the right and left of the condemned man. Four officers are placed at the corners of the mats. The kaishaku, as in the former case, offers to execute the last wishes of the condemned. A dirk nine and a half inches long is placed before him on a stand. In this case, the dirk is a real dirk, which the man takes and stabs himself with on the left side below the navel, drawing it across to the right side. At this moment, when he leans forward in pain, the kaishaku on the left-hand side cuts off the head. The kaishaku on the right-hand side takes up the head and shows it to the sheriff. The body is given to the relations for burial. In most cases, the property of the deceased is confiscated. Third, self-immolation of a daimyo on account of disgrace. When a daimyo had been guilty of treason or offended against a tycoon, inasmuch as the family was disgraced and an apology could neither be offered nor accepted, the offending daimyo was condemned to harakiri. Calling his counsellors around him, he confided to them his last will and testament for transmission to the tycoon. Then, clothing himself in his court dress, he disemboweled himself and cut his own throat. His counsellors then reported the matter to the government, and a coroner was sent to investigate it. To him the retainers handed the last will and testament of their lord, and he took it to the Goroju, first counsel, who transmitted it to the tycoon. If the offence was heinous, such as would involve the ruin of the whole family, by the clemency of the tycoon half the property might be confiscated, and half returned to the heir. If the offence was trivial, the property was inherited intact by the heir, and the family did not suffer. In all cases where the criminal disembowels himself of his own accord, without condemnation and without investigation, inasmuch as he is no longer able to defend himself, the offence is considered as non-proven, and the property is not confiscated. In the year 1869, a motion was brought forward in the Japanese Parliament by one Ono Seiguro, clerk of the house, advocating the abolition of the practice of harakiri. Two hundred members out of a house of 209 voted against the motion, which was supported by only three speakers, six members not voting on either side. In this debate, the seppuku, or harakiri, was called the very shrine of the Japanese national spirit and the embodiment in practice of devotion to principle. A great ornament to the empire. A pillar of the constitution. A valuable institution tending to the honor of the nobles and based on a compassionate feeling towards the official caste. A pillar of religion and a spur to virtue. The whole debate, which is well worth reading, and an able translation of which by Mr. Aston has appeared in a recent blue book, 
shows the affection with which the Japanese cling to the traditions of a chivalrous past. It is worthy of notice that the proposer, Ono Seigoro, who on more than one occasion rendered himself conspicuous by introducing motions based upon an admiration of our Western civilization, was murdered not long after this debate took place. There are many stories on record of extraordinary heroism being displaced in the Harakiri. The case of a young fellow, only twenty years old, of the Choshu clan, which was told me the other day by an eyewitness, deserves mention as a marvellous instance of determination. Not content with giving himself the one necessary cut, he slashed himself thrice horizontally and twice vertically. Then he stabbed himself in the throat until the dirk protruded on the other side, with its sharp edge to the front, setting his teeth in one supreme effort, he drove the knife forward with both hands through his throat and fell dead. One more story, and I have done. During the revolution, when the tycoon, beaten on every side, fled ignominiously to Yedo, he is said to have determined to fight no more, but to yield everything. A member of his second council went to him and said, Sir, the only way for you now to retrieve the honor of the family of Tokugawa is to disembowel yourself, and to prove to you that I am sincere and disinterested in what I say, I am here ready to disembowel myself with you. The tycoon flew into a great rage, saying that he would listen to no such nonsense, and left the room. His faithful retainer, to prove his honesty, retired to another part of the castle, and solemnly performed the harakiri. End of section 43